0: Have you always thought the Old Testament feasts were only for Israel? If so, you may be in for a surprise, today, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Shalom, and welcome to Messianic Perspectives, a daily program where we look into the scriptures from a distinctive first-century Jewish point of view. Today, our Bible teacher is Dr. Gary Hedrick, President of CJF Ministries. Gary's topic for this current series of studies is the Spring Feasts of the Lord. He's explaining how the seven feasts in Leviticus 23 are not only significant in themselves, but also how they collectively form an exciting outline of God's prophetic plan leading up to the second coming. I'll be back at the close of the program with news about a special offer. And now, here's Gary.
1: All right, thank you. And Shalom Chabarim. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Messianic Perspectives. It's good to have you with us today as we finish up our study of the spring feasts. And if you've been with us as we've gone along through this series of studies, you know that we've been talking about Yom Habikarim or the day of firstfruits. And on the last program I gave you a messianic interpretation, a Christian interpretation of the symbolic meaning of first fruits. What we said basically is that it speaks of the resurrection of the Messiah. First Corinthians 15 20 says that Jesus the Messiah was raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And remember, whenever the Bible refers to death as sleep, it's talking about the body. What happens to the body when we die? It sleeps. It's in a state of dormancy. But the Spirit is with the Lord. The body is in the grave, and the spirit. Spirit is with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord, the Apostle Paul said. But the Bible teaches that every person who has ever lived will one day be resurrected and will stand before God in judgment. Those who are believers will stand before him at the Bema judgment, where we are judged according to our works to determine our rewards and what position we will have in his kingdom. And those who died as unbelievers will stand before him at the great white throne judgment. So there are all these judgments and resurrections, but Jesus is the firstfruits of all of them. Just as the firstfruits in the Old Testament were a foretaste of the harvest that was to come, the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah foreshadows the future resurrection of all those who sleep in the grave. And that should be a comfort, especially to those of us who know him, to realize that death is not the end, that it's not a termination, but a graduation, or maybe a better word would be germination, because that's the allusion Jesus himself used to refer to the resurrection. He said, unless a seed falls to the earth and is buried in the ground, it cannot sprout and live again. So a human body is like a seed that is planted in the ground, and it will live again. You say, Gary, how do you know that? It's very simple. When I die, I know I will live again because Jesus was the first fruits. He proved it. Death could not keep him. The grave could not hold him. On the third day, he came walking out of that tomb. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the only person in all of history who needed to borrow a tomb because he didn't need it permanently? You say, Gary, how can you say Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection when there were others in both the Old and New Testaments who were resurrected? But wait a minute, my friend. It's true that there were others who were raised from the dead. In the New Testament, for example, the daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead, and so was Lazarus. In the Old Testament, Elijah raised the son of the Shunammite woman from the dead. But these were not true resurrections because in each case, the person went on to die Later, they were not raised to immortality. Now, you can call it revivification if you want to, but it's not resurrection. There's a difference. Because when you are resurrected by the power of God unto eternal life, you never die again. So if you want to know why I know I will live again, and that death will not hold this old body in the ground permanently, it's because Jesus already went there and did that. You know, like they say, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Well, he's already been there. He's already done that, and praise God, he came through it victoriously. Now, remember, we said first fruits actually happens in two phases. There's the day of first fruits on the third day after Passover, and then they count off 49 days or seven weeks. And the very next day or the 50th day is the latter first fruits or what we call Shavuot. In English, it's the feast of weeks. In Hebrew, the word for week is Shavu or Shavuah. It's related to the word for seven, Shiva. A week is seven days. So they counted off seven sevens, or 49 days, and then the fiftieth day was Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. This is when they brought the first fruits of the wheat harvest and offered it to the Lord. Remember, fifty days earlier, they offered the first fruits of the barley harvest. Now, almost two months later, it's the wheat harvest. And remember what we said about this progression from humiliation to glorification? We said barley was the poor people's food. Wheat was what people ate who were better off because it was more expensive. So you have this progression over 50 days from barley to wheat, from humiliation to glorification. The barley represented the Messiah in his humiliation as he took upon himself a body of flesh and blood and was found in the likeness of mortal man. The letter to the Philippians describes it as an emptying, a kenosis in which the Prince of Heaven laid aside some of his divine attributes so he could step across the portal of eternity and enter time. He was born as a baby in a manger in a little Judean village called Bethlehem, or Lechem House of Bread, Bethlehem. So the Feast of Weeks is also the latter first fruits. This is one of the three pilgrim feasts of Judaism, the other two being Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. The Feast of Weeks was also called Pentecost because it happened 50 days after the barley harvest. And it's interesting. They offered two loaves of leavened bread. On this occasion, two loaves of leavened bread. Remember what we talked about? Leaven symbolizes sin. So we know those loaves can't represent God or the Messiah. So what do they represent? Very simply, they represent two categories of people who are sinners. Do you know who they are? Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non Jews, the Bible says we're all sinners. There is no difference between Jewish people or Gentile people. We're all in the same boat when it comes to being sinners in the eyes of God. Now, it's also interesting that according to Jewish tradition, Moses received the Torah, the law, on Mount Sinai, on Shavuot. And so traditionally, this is the celebration of Israel becoming a nation and Moses receiving the law. Because the Torah was actually the Constitution of the State of Israel. And by the way, it's still that way. Did you know the State of Israel has no written Constitution other than the Torah? So Shavuot marks the birth of the nation Israel at Mount Sinai after God brought her out of Egypt. And this is what they were celebrating in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit came down and the church was born. You see, a lot of Christians think Pentecost is a Christian holiday, but it's not. It's the Jewish Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. In fact, that's precisely why the disciples were told to tarry, or to wait until Shavuot, because that's when the Holy Spirit would come down and breathe life into the church, breathe life into the body of the Messiah, and she would become a living, breathing organism. That's why there were so many people in Jerusalem at that time, because the Pilgrim Feasts were times when Jewish people from all over the the Roman Empire would come to Jerusalem to bring their offerings to the temple. So Peter got up and preached the gospel, and it says 3,000 people came to faith. 3,000 people got saved. These were Jewish people who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot. And by the way, the upper room... It's not that little room where the tour guides take you when you go on an Israel tour and you come to Jerusalem. It's not that little place. That building wasn't even there 2,000 years ago, and you certainly wouldn't get 3,000 people anywhere near there. The upper room was actually part of the temple. It was just up from the southern stairs where we take our tour groups every year. In ancient times these steps led up to the Huldah Gate or the Triple Gate. And at the bottom of these steps are the mikvot where the worshippers baptized themselves before they ascended the steps to offer their sacrifices to God. You can still see these mikvot or these baptistries today. When you stand there on those steps, as we have done many times, You can easily imagine Peter standing there and preaching to these Jewish people from all over the world. Then he points down to the mikvot, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And this also explains why Peter didn't have to tell them what he meant by baptism. He didn't have to say, okay, you guys, baptism is where you go under the water or whatever, because these were Jewish people. They knew what the mikvot were for. They knew what baptism was. They knew the drill. So the church was born on the same day the nation Israel was born. God's heavenly nation, the church, was born on the same day his earthly nation Israel was born. That's why he told them to tarry at Jerusalem until Shavuot. And then the Holy Spirit would come down on them. And he did. The Spirit came down in power and glory. And none of those early followers of Jesus was ever the same again. So those are the spring feasts, Passover, Unleavened Bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. It's been good to have you with us, listening friend. I hope you'll join us next time right here on Messianic Perspectives. Until then, this is your friend Gary Hedrick saying, God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Gary. And thank you, listening friend, for tuning in today. It's always good to have you with us, whether you're listening from home, at work, or in your car. This is Messianic Perspectives, and you've been listening to Dr. Gary Hedrick talking about the Spring Feasts of the Lord, the seven annual meetings outlined in Leviticus 23. We have all the programs in this series available in a set of three CDs packaged in an attractive binder for a suggested contribution of just $18. That's the three CDs entitled The Spring Feasts of the Lord by Dr. Gary Hedrick for a gift of only $18. Just visit our secure online store at messianicspecialties.com to place your order. If you would prefer to order by mail, just address your request to Messianic Perspectives, P.O. Box 345, San Antonio, Texas 78292. To order by phone, use our toll-free order line from the U.S. The number is 1-800-926-5397. Let me remind you that when you order the materials we offer here on the program, you're not only enabling us to remain here on your station, but you're also helping us take the good news of Yeshua HaMashiach to Jewish people and Gentiles all over the world. Even if you're one of our regular listeners, you still may not know that we're much more than just a radio program. Messianic Perspectives is sponsored by CJF Ministries, one of the largest missionary organizations in the world. We currently have missionary families serving the Lord all over the world, including the United States, Canada, South America, England, France, and of course, Israel. So when you write, consider helping us with a gift above the suggested amount. We'd be very grateful. And as always, when you're in touch with us, please mention the call letters of this station. If you're listening to our webcast or podcast, we need to know that too. I'm Liz Aiello. Join us next time, won't you, as Dr. Gary Hedrick begins his series on the 23rd Psalm, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Oceanic Perspectives is sponsored by CJF Ministries of San Antonio, Texas, and is made possible on this station by the free will contributions of our listeners in this area.